0: As a child, some of my favorite books were later made into movies uh, was The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien. And the basic story of The Hobbit is that you have uh, a wizard named Gandalf who approaches Bilbo Baggins, who is a a little hobbit, who's living there in the Shire. He likes his safe, sort of secure. Uh, He knows what's happening, sort of life. And he tries to convince him to join a group of dwarves that are on this adventure to their ancient homeland, to recapture their ancient homeland. And along the way, they're going to meet all sorts of mythical creatures, uh, uh, the greatest of which is this dragon there uh, toward the end of the story. And so when Gandalf approaches Bilbo to try to, to convince him to go out on this adventure, Bilbo replies, sorry, I don't want any adventures. I... I, I like my life how it is. The, and so uh, Bilbo, like a lot of us, could be reluctant to change, reluctant to something new or different. But Gandalf persisted with him, and he uh, was encouraging him that he needed to go on this journey. And Bilbo says to him, I can read all about adventures in and, and, and my books, and I can look at all these interesting places on, on maps, And Gandalf replied to him, the world is not in your books and maps. It's out there. (laughs) And he says to him, you'll even have a tale or two of your own when you come back. And Bilbo turns to Gandalf and he says, but can you assure me that I will come back? And Gandalf says to him, no, and if you do, you'll not be the same. He tells him that As you go on this adventure, it's going to to change you. And when you come before God, you're not going to be the same. He's going to change you. When you come before God's Word, it's going to change you. When you join in the adventure of this God called life, you will not be the same. Now, we don't always like to change. It's easier to remain in the shire. It's easier to to stay in, in our comfortable bubbles. But I want you to know today that God has a great plan for your life as part of his kingdom to spread the good news of the gospel to our city and to the very ends of the earth. And you're missing out on it if you're afraid of God working in your life and changing you. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 119. We're going through a series on Sunday mornings through Psalm 119 called A People of the Book. And that's because Psalm 119 is all about loving God's Word and knowing God's Word and and being committed to God's Word, that we would become people who are of the book. And it's a Hebrew poem, this, this psalm is. Every stanza corresponds with a particular letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the first line, uh, the first letter of each line of that stanza uh, is a particular letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And today, in this section that we come to, uh, is the Hebrew letter Yod, which kind of looks like an apostrophe in in English, but it's a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And every line begins with this letter in these verses that we're going to study this morning. And the theme of this particular stanza is about how God's word transform us. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I ask you to stand in honor of God's Word if you're able. Psalm 119 in verse 73. The Word of God says, Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding so that I can learn your commands. Those who fear you will see me and rejoice, for I put my hope in your Word. I know, Lord, that your judgments are just and that you have afflicted me fairly. May your faithful love comfort me as you promised your servant. May your compassion come to me so that I may live, for your instruction is my delight. Let the arrogant be put to shame for slandering me with lies. I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you, those who know your decrees, turn to me. May my heart be blameless regarding your statutes so that I will not be put to shame. Thank you. You may... Be seated. As we look at these verses about transformation, we're going we're to divide this stanza up into two, two ideas, two points. Uh, and the first one is this, the evidence of transformation in your life. What is the evidence of transformation in your life? In verse 73, the psalmist says, Your hands made me and formed me, so give me understanding so that I can learn your commands. What the psalmist is saying here is, you are God. You are. Your hands made me. They formed me. My entire existence is is from you. Everything that is made was made by you. You are the the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so I find myself in you. And if you're a Christian here today, your identity is, is found in Christ. Now we look to try to find identity in all sorts of things. We try to find identity in the style of clothes that you wear. Uh, You try to find identity in the type of vehicle that you drive. You try to find identity in the address of your home. You try to find identity through a particular political party or through a social media group that you're a part of or a friend group that you're associated with or your favorite college football team. But first and above all, your identity is found in Christ. Paul says it like this in Philippians one twenty one: For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so he says, this is my identity. To live is Christ. And Paul wasn't just saying that for himself. He called the church to the exact same standard. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, he writes to the church there, and he says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He says to the church, Christ is your life. Jesus said it like this when he was calling people to come follow after him in Luke fourteen twenty six. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so you put all these verses together, and what you see is this. Evidence of transformation in your life is that your greatest allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom. That's what all that means that your greatest allegiance is to to Christ and his kingdom. And that is evidence. If that's true in your life, that's evidence of God's transforming work in you. He continues in verse 74. Those who fear you will see me and rejoice. Why are they rejoicing? They're rejoicing because of the transformation that's taking place in the life of the psalmist. They see him and they say, wow, that's awesome. We, We celebrate with you. Do people want to be around you because they see how God is at work in your life. Listen, if you are on fire for the Lord, and you're, you're living for, like, that's contagious. People want to be around people like that. They want, they're hoping some of it's going to rub off, right? I mean, they want to be a, around someone who's set on fire like that. When your life is an inspiration to others. And that's how he's describing Himself. He, he desires to be a model of the Word of God to others. Now, it's been said many times before that you might be the only Jesus that some people ever see. And the problem is that a lot of us don't really look like Jesus a lot. And we might be the only Jesus that people ever see. So if a, if a lost person is depending upon your life, to know how to live for God, what is it that they're learning? If they, are, are you in your life painting a clear picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Because the world is looking for you to model for them the word. They're going to learn how to live for God from watching what you do, from watching what you don't do, and when there are inconsistencies between what you say and what you do, they notice. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Now, that's a dangerous proposition to put out there. I mean, to, to, to write to the church and say, listen, just do what I do. We'd probably be afraid to say that. Do you really want other Christians to imitate you? Do you really want lost people to do what you do? But that should be the word from each and every one of us. May those who fear you see me and rejoice because I put my hope in your word. If we can't say that, then there's a problem. Because evidence of transformation is that our lives become a model of the Christian walk. That's evidence of God's transforming work in your life, that your life becomes a model of a Christian walk. He goes on in verse 75. I know, Lord, that your judgments are just and that you have afflicted me fairly. Here, the psalmist is saying, God, I recognize that that you're good. God, I recognize that, that you are just, that your judgments are good, that they are right. And you've come to appreciate God's conviction in your life because you recognize that it's from a good God who loves you and who wants what's best for your life. And he's doing this work in you to make you a man or a woman after his own heart. And so you've, you are transformed to realize that you can trust God in all things. No matter what's happening in your life, you can trust God in it. And so we quit with all the excuses and we quit with trying to hide and we receive God's instruction in our life, his reproof and correction in our life. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but one who hates correction is stupid. I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't make that up. That, that's literally what it says. He who creates, hates correction is, is stupid. And so, evidence of transformation in your life is that you are learning to trust God at all times. That's evidence of God's transforming work in your heart. And all of these things here at the beginning of this stanza, all of these good things come from the book. Did y'all notice that? Every line, he's pointing us to the Word. There in verse 73. Give me understanding so so that I can learn your commands. In verse 74, I put my hope in your word. In verse 75, your judgments are just. You see it? Over and over and over. And transformation will not happen if you neglect the word of God. As you learn this word, it will change you because the word is living and active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And God uses his word to, to make us new. And your life changes and your thoughts change and your actions change. And that's exactly the work that God wants to do in your life, that he wants to do in your life, that he wants to do in your life, that he wants to do in my life. This is what God desires for us. But how are we ever going to grow in our knowledge of the Lord If we never open the Bible. Because this is how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And we have the privilege and the opportunity to get to know our creator. So that means we need to learn this word. So when you look at, at your life this morning, are you seeing this evidence of God's transformation in your heart? and in your life. The second part of this stanza, what we see is that this transformation is going to occur through everyday circumstances. Paul Tripp is a Christian author, and he says the Christian life doesn't rest its hope in big moments of change. Instead, the transforming work of grace is more of a mundane process, a mundane process that takes small, and daily commitment. And you look at the second half of this stanza, we can notice a progression of transformation that occurs in the psalmist's life. It happens over time, little by little, day by day, moment by moment. And that's how change is going to happen in our lives as well. It's going to be diet season soon, right? The next like eight or ten weeks, however many weeks it is, until the end of the year. So New Year's, like we're going to eat. We're going to feast, right? There's going to be Thanksgiving, and there's going to be Christmas, and there's going to be Christmas parties, and there's going to be New Year's, and all these. We're going to eat and eat and eat and eat. And then when it turns the calendar over to January 1st, we're like, well, we need to quit eating so much. Let's let's go on a diet, okay? Uh, And so there's going to be all these commitments that we're going to make. We're going to eat less. We're going to eat better. We're going to eat healthier. We're going to... Exercise. We're gonna do all these things. It's gonna be diet season, okay? So on January the first, we're all gonna get up that morning and we're gonna eat a healthy breakfast. And then we're going to, for those few moments, those few hours between breakfast and lunch, we're we're gonna to starve to death. And we're not gonna eat donuts, and we're not gonna eat all the snacks that everybody brought in, left over from you know, and put on the, the table there in the office. And you're not gonna eat, drink cokes and stuff. You're gonna. You're going to not eat for a little while. Then you're going to get to lunchtime. It's going to be, you're going to eat a healthy lunch. You're going to feel really good about yourself because you've made, you know, you, you didn't, you know, break your, your uh, commitment in the first six hours of the new year. Uh, and so then after lunch, you're going to go and you're going to get on the scale. You're going to say, let's see how I'm doing, right? Of course you wouldn't do that. That's silly, right? I mean, you're not going to lose weight in six hours, okay? So, I mean, that's, that's silly, The same thing is true spiritually. It's going to take time and commitment daily to see this sort of transformation. It's going to require making the right decisions again and again and again and again. A.W. Tozer said, complacency is the deadly enemy of spiritual progress. The contented soul is the stagnant soul. And so what I would ask you this morning is, are you content with complacency? Or do you want more in your walk with God? Are you just fine with being just fine? I mean, how can we be okay with going to church for years and years and years and still being the exact same? How can we be okay with that when God is a God who brings change in our lives? So we need to be, say, uh, enough of being good enough. We need a holy hunger for more of God in our lives, right? And then we're going to begin to see real transformation that takes place. Notice the progression in the psalmist's life. It begins there in verse 76. He says, may your faithful love comfort me as you promised your servant. He uses the Hebrew word there, kesed, which is translated as faithful love. It's a word that means God's goodness. It's a word that's used to describe God's covenantal love that he has for his people. And so he's, he's referring here to the covenant relationship that God has with his people. And so he asks, would your, your, your covenant love come to me and comfort me? And this is where we all have to begin. We, we begin our relationship with God by receiving his covenant in our heart. And we're secure in that love from God because God doesn't change. His love is not conditional. His love isn't based upon your performance or lack thereof. God loved you yesterday, and he loves you today, and he'll love you tomorrow. And that love is the foundation upon which we stand, and it's the foundation upon which we live. It's the foundation upon which we love the Lord. And in a in a minute, we're gonna have a time of response at the end of our service, and this is where you have to begin in a relationship with God, and you're going to have an opportunity to make that decision. There were two people this morning in the first service who made decisions to follow after Jesus, and there are probably people who are in here right now that need to make this same sort of decision, where you recognize that you have sinned against God, but God loves you with cassette, with with a covenant love, so much that he sent his very son Jesus to die on the cross, to pay the price for your sins and for my sins. And because the penalty for our sin is death, Jesus died there on the cross in our place. He was placed in the grave. But on the third day, he walked out of the tomb alive, conqueror of sin, conqueror of death, conqueror of hell, for all who would put their faith in him as the Savior and Lord of their life. And so at the end of our service, there's going to be an opportunity for you to make this decision in your life, to, put, to repent of your sin and to put your faith in Jesus to save you and to forgive you and to begin walking after him. Because what the psalmist is saying here in verse 76 is, I am resting in God's love. May your faithful love comfort me. I'm resting in God's love. But that's not where he stops. There's a progression of transformation and growth in his life. And so you go into verse 77 and he says, May your compassion come to me so that I may live, for your instruction is my delight. Here, the psalmist is learning, and the psalmist is growing. The Holy Spirit is shaping his life. He's bringing conviction into his heart. And the psalmist is responding to that conviction with repentance. He uses the Hebrew word here, rakam, which is translated as compassion. May your compassion, he says, come to me. That word also means mercy. May God's mercy come to me. And God is merciful, not counting our trespasses against us, And in Christ, there's forgiveness because of the blood that he did shed on the cross. And so we don't receive the wrath that we deserve, but instead we receive compassion, mercy. And so what the psalmist is saying here is, I am walking in God's grace each day. He's resting in God's love, and he's walking in God's grace. In verse 78, he continues. He says, let the arrogant be put to shame for slandering me with lies. I will meditate on your precepts. Now, the has begin to develop godly habits. You're transformed through the Holy Spirit implanting God's word in your heart, and you begin to make right choices, and a series of right choices is a habit. Now, over COVID, I decided that I wanted to try to learn Spanish. Uh, you know, we're going on on mission trips with our church plant down in Miami, uh, with our unreached people group down in Mexico. And so I said, I want to learn some Spanish so that I can try to talk to people, at least ask them where the bathroom is when I get to these places, right? So I I downloaded this app on my phone called Duolingo. It's a language learning app. And I go in there every day and I'm learning words and phrases and stuff and trying to learn Spanish. And so when I began doing this Duolingo, I had to remind myself every single day, you know, you got to do this lesson today. You got you to learn some words today or do something, you know, uh, and the app is really good about bugging you to death until you do the lesson, so that helps, but, uh, but at the beginning, I had to, to remind myself and push myself every day to do it, but now I don't because now I'm on a 68-day streak of doing it, so I've done it for 68 days in a row, and so now It's a habit of mine. I do it every day. It's it's part it's part of what I do. And so I'm starting to learn some Spanish. And what the psalmist is saying here is that these habits are his defense. So that when the arrogant slander him, when they say all these things against him, they're found to be lies because there's evidence of of good habits in his life that speak good for him, right? They're his defense. And so what the psalmist is saying here is, I am striving for holiness in my life. He's resting in God's love, he's walking in God's grace, and he's striving for holiness in his life. You see the progression of transformation taking place? But he continues in verse 79, he says, Let those who fear you, those who know your decrees, turn to me. Now, these godly habits are maturing into Christian character. And as as habits harden into concrete, it becomes who you are. For the psalmist, the word of the Lord has fashioned him, so much so that he says others who follow the Lord are looking to him. He is now an example to others of what it means to be a follower of God. Paul says it like this in Philippians 4, 9. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. That's what Paul says to the church. He says, if all the things I've been saying and, and that you've received from me, do all those things. The things that you've seen in me, do those things, and God's going to be with you. I, he's, he's setting this example of godly character before the church. And when I think of an example like this in my life, I think about my grandfather, J.T. Green, John Thomas Jr. I'm the fourth. And J.T. is a man in his 80s. He has macular degeneration, which makes him uh, legally blind. But yet he's online worshiping with us every single week. figured it out in his 80s. And he's a Marine, a Korean War veteran. And he served as a deacon in his church for years. He prioritized worship with his family for his entire life. He modeled worship. He sang bass in the choir his whole life. He taught Sunday school for years and years. He reads his Bible every day even though he's legally blind and he has this machine that will blow up the letters really big so that he can read it. Are y'all saying? I mean, I'm just, I'm just going to be real honest. This is what he goes through to read God's Word every day. <laughs> and we can't bother to pick it up. He puts it on a machine and blows up the letters this big so he can see them. He prays every day. For me, I know because he tells me. And his example is one that I hope to emulate in my own life. He's become a source of hope for others. That's what the psalmist is saying. He says, I've become a source of hope for others, one that people can look to and and follow. And so you see this progression. He's resting in God's love. He's walking in God's grace. He's striving for holiness. He's becoming a source of hope for others. And then in verse 80, the last verse, he says, May my heart be blameless regarding your statutes so that I'll not be put to shame. Now the psalmist is looking to the end of his life so that he wouldn't be put to shame. He's wanting to hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. He's wanting to be found blameless before God. He's wanting to leave a godly legacy. So what sort of legacy are you leaving behind? Are you making the choices today that will lead to godly habits, that will develop into godly character, that will become a godly example and will result in a godly legacy? That's the sort of progression that we're talking about here. Now, we can look at someone like my grandfather or, or your grandfather or grandmother or whoever, somebody in this church that you admire or someone that you know in your life that you look up to, and we can look at that person and say, wow, I would love to be like that someday. Well, I can tell you that they didn't just magically become that way one day. It started back here, <laughs> making right decisions that developed into good habits, that developed into godly character, that developed into a legacy. That's that's the progression that took place in their life. Are we going to make those same sort of examples in our lives? What he's saying here is, I desire to be found in right standing before the Lord. So how is it that God effects this everyday transformation in our lives? Through his word. I mean, he says it every single verse all the way through the stanza. We'll pick up here uh, in verse 76. He says, as you promised in your word. Verse 77, your instruction is my delight. Verse 78, I'll meditate on your precepts. Verse 79, those who know your decrees. Verse 80, uh, blameless regarding your statutes. I don't know how to put it any more plainly. God brings transformation through his word. And so if we're not going to be in his word, then don't expect to be transformed. And these are all prayers of the psalmist here. You can see the repetition of the words may and let at the beginning of each Verse there at the transition point in verse 76, may your faithful love. Verse 77, may your compassion. Verse 78, let the arrogant. Verse 79, let those who fear you. Verse 80, may my heart. So the psalmist is offering this last part of the stanza as a prayer to God. Is this the prayer of your life? Are you desiring to see God transform your life each day? Are you longing to see God work in your life? Are you ready to embark on an adventure with God? Because if you do, you'll not be the same. So Christians, this morning, as we think about this passage of Scripture, make this prayer your prayer today, that God would transform your life through his word. There's two very simple ways that you can apply this, okay? You can write these down. Number one is that you would be Radically committed to God's Word. That you would you would make that time that you spend in God's Word and that you'd be radically committed to it. Just like I'm starting to learn Spanish words and phrases, it, it doesn't happen if I don't study it, okay? You've got to be radically committed to God's Word. And secondly, that you would be radically obedient to God's Word. That what you see, what you read, what God teaches you, you'll do it. If you want to see God transform your life, then be radically committed to God's word and radically obedient to God's word. And I promise you, he'll change you. And so maybe during this time of invitation, Christians, you want to spend some time here at this altar making this prayer your prayer today. But there are others here today who need to start this process in their life. And just like I said a few minutes ago, at the end of our service, you're going to have an opportunity to respond. This is where you begin by receiving God's love into your heart, by repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus to forgive you and that you'll be born again and become part of the family and the kingdom of God. There'll be leaders here across the front who'll be here to talk with you and to pray with you and walk you through that decision. But if that's the decision you need to make in your heart today, I want to encourage you to come during this time and follow how God is at work in your heart. But now... Is the time to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, thank you for your word, Lord, for the challenge that you have put in front of us today. God, that you do change us, that you don't leave us in our sin, you don't leave us in the mess, but God, you, you conform us to the image of Christ, that you grow us in Christ-likeness and in holiness So, God, I pray that you do that work in our lives during these next few moments. And, God, that you would have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.